Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 29, A Clockwork Orange. We're getting into some, one of the most controversial movies of all time, actually. So, controversy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, this is another one where I'm kind of hesitant to take it on because I feel like we need three or four hours to really do it justice. Well, we don't have that much time, so we'll do the best we can. But first, uh, I'm Jared. Uh, horror movie nerd. I'm here as always with my sister-in-law, Mia. Mia, how are you doing today? I'm good. Doing pretty great. Just got back from a soccer match. Soccer game. Yeah, we went and saw the Seattle Sounders and uh, they got their butts kicked, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, and that's Justin, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what was here. the score? Like 1-0? Oh, you were so close. You're so two zero. Two zero. Yeah. Wow. That's uh yeah, that's pretty crazy for soccer. (laughs) Um (laughs) great commentary. Uh (laughs) yeah. I don't know much about soccer, but uh, I know the score is usually pretty like small numbers. (laughs) That's right. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. But so like I said, we've got a lot to get through in a short time. So thank you guys for joining me. I know it's pretty late there. We had to mess around with our schedule a little bit today, but uh, I'll try not to keep you up too late. Let's do Mm. it, man. So, Justin, this was your pick. So why did you pick A Clockwork Orange? Well, um, I like uh, there are a few movies that the quality of the narrative, the acting, the music, and the cinematography come together in a way that then tells a a multi-layered story and you know stanley kubrick is one of the best of all time and um so i had watched this maybe with you i think i think it was with you um because I think there were a couple of movies that you suggested were some of the most controversy of all time (laughs) and uh we watched it and I like I like that films are controversial just in and of themselves. It's still like a fun concept to me and the way that books are controversial. But anyways, this one is, there are scenes from this film that I will never forget as long as I'm alive. Kind of like uh, I said to me, I kind of like with Eraserhead and David Lynch's ability to sear images into your mind. There are several scenes It'd been a long time since I had seen this movie and several of the scenes had stuck with me and seeing them a second time, they were creeping into my dreams and uh, they're fantastic uh, in a creepy as fuck kind of way. Um, (laughs) So that's my long narrative for, uh, yeah, it was my pick and it's because it's one of the best horror, psychological horrors and commentary on society of all time. Mm -hmm. What I have to say about this is just a little history before we turn to Mia. This uh, was Stanley Kubrick, as Justin said. If you say Stanley Kubrick is the greatest filmmaker of all time, I probably won't argue with you. I mean, there's several people who uh, are uh, in that area, but he's definitely one of them. Uh, a Clockwork Orange is a nonsense name for anyone who doesn't know. It's just uh, the author. So first, the book, it was based on a book from 1962 by a man named Anthony Burgess, I may have said his last name wrong, but um, it follows pretty closely to the book. Um, So the film really 
oh goodness, there's so much to go into here. But uh, the title prepares you for some of the the lingo in the film and in the book because there's there's there there's this huge slang. It's sort of like a mixture of uh, Russian with some made up slang, and a lot of it you you won't understand. I'm sure that turns off a few people. But the the title of Clockwork Orange, the author said it came from something he had heard on the streets one time, but there's no evidence of it actually existing. So it's believed to be made up. It's just a nonsense term, which kind of gets you in the mood for this film. So it came out in 1971, extremely controversial. Um, It follows Alex, who is a true sadist. You know, I think what is the, the poster? It says... Being the adventures of a young man whose principal interests are rape, ultraviolence, and Beethoven. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> so just a, world. Yeah, just a brief background there. But um, Mia, Mia, had you seen this movie before, Mia? No, I had not. This is my first oh, time watching this movie. That's exciting. Okay, so what did you think? Um, I have mixed feelings about it. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, it has, so it has good commentary on society, uh, violence, uh, misogyny, you know, you know, just the way that women are depicted in this, Uh, a lot of, uh, phallic objects (laughs) everywhere, (laughs) a lot of penises everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then just a comment on like, um, what is it like personal autonomy and making decision and decision making and taking that away from someone and mm-hmm. how they function and just society is just it's an interesting movie yeah there's definitely um there's a lot of commentary here a lot of philosophy a lot of political stuff we'll try i mean it's hard to avoid avoid that you guys know i try and keep away from like modern Republican versus Democrat kind of stuff, but there's really no way to avoid touching on politics to some degree when you talk about this movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of themes about free will and different approaches to human nature and how to deal with crime. And but we'll get into all of it. So I'm really excited. This was your first time seeing this movie. Uh, to me, I think. Uh, I consider this one of the greatest films ever made. Uh, I saw it in high school for the first time. I've seen it once or twice since then, but it had been a long time. And watching it again, uh, man, I think it's just a masterpiece. I can understand someone saying, uh, being uncomfortable with the contents. I mean, it is a very violent film, a very disturbing film in many ways, but the, uh, the directing is brilliant. The cinematography is brilliant. The use of music is brilliant. And, um, yeah, technically it's an incredible film. But if you guys are ready, we'll jump into it. We're ready. Let's do it. All right. Like I said, this one really won about four hours. Maybe one day we'll get really in depth. So here we're going to have to cut through a lot of stuff, but let's hit the main points. So <laughs> uh, it starts off awesome, too. Uh, the beginning is it's just Alex's face. And so, first off, how would you guys describe? Alex, the way they dress in this movie, their appearance. They're kind of like, like in those movies where painters would show up all dressed in white and overalls. It's kind of like that mixed with like mob 
and formal attire, all but all white, and then their creepy masks. The masks are <laughs> creepy. Yeah, those uh, are uh, they're also wearing cod pieces for some reason that's never yeah. explained. Yeah. <laughs> I guess maybe if you just go, if you're in a street gang, you get into a lot of fights, you want to be constantly wearing a cup? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 It's where and they keep the balls. <laughs> I mean, like the ones that they play with, not their testicles. Because <laughs> it doesn't even pull like like a ball out of out of it. Like at one point, he pulls something out of it. Yeah. I don't know. That there's a lot of weird stuff. But he also has like one set of eyelashes. He has fake eyelash extenders on, and yeah, he's wearing all white. It's very. The movie is it's kind of futuristic, but also kind of dystopian. And we see more of that as we go on. You get a sense that the place is um, kind of falling apart. But one thing I like about this movie is there's almost nothing that looks normal. Very rarely do you see something and go, oh, that looks like our society, you know? So even like the interiors of the homes throughout. mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And the interior of this room is almost all white mannequins of naked women who are anatomically correct <laughs> the whole room if you didn't notice um yeah it's everywhere yeah, yeah. in different positions with colorful pubic hair yeah yeah <laughs> yeah like i said anatomically correct naked female mannequins but anyway so the music starts and i love the music in this film and it's just a close-up of his face. And so they're at the, the milk bar where you can drink milk that has various drugs in it, basically. And they're getting high off this special kind of drug, getting ready to go cause some trouble for the night. So, okay. I'm just going to jump over like 30 minutes worth of awesome stuff here. But uh, the first 30 minutes mostly introduce the world and Alex and show us what his life is like. Basically, Alex is a true sadist. You know, he, uh, I think that's what makes this film so disturbing for many people is he's very violent and he just loves it. You know, he's, he's not crazy. He just is really, really happy and enjoys the violence, you know. So you've got the street gang battle. Um, you've got them running cars off the road in the middle of the night. You've got the home invasion singing in the rain scene, which is one of the most famous parts of the movie. You've got... <laughs> Alex masturbating while listening to Beethoven and imagining various violent things. And you've got a fast forward threesome set to William Tell's overture. Okay. So any favorites <laughs> from the first 30 minutes? I mean, it has to be singing in the rain. I, 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 the other scenes are great, but I mean, the, the home invasion scene, um, is really intense i mean it's really freaking intense and it's the one that uh probably stays with me the most from the movie is when they break into the home and um and uh rape his wife and they're really violent with her and uh i did get a kind of kick out of the gang fights i mean they yeah. just like come out of the dark and uh they're like yeah now we're gonna fight and then they just that's what they do. And then the yeah, cops- it's like a professional wrestling thing for a moment. They're like throwing each other through <laughs> tables. <laughs> yeah, it's just really. Yeah, and it's weird because there's no guns, I guess. Uh, just like <laughs> all my visions of gangs 
fighting is there's so much more weaponry uh in like modern movies um yeah and so it's like they're just kind of punching one another um for most part are using basic weapons even knives don't really seem to be allowed um so anyways yeah those what did you think man what what do you think of that stuff at the beginning um do i have a favorite part no <laughs> um <laughs> i think it's I always like... the wrong word <laughs> yeah i, I they were all very awful i mean just in, not not that they were like awful scenes but they're just awful to like witness because you have okay. even in the gang fight you have a woman about to be raped and then another one during the home invasion and so i think i enjoyed the aesthetic and all the like set designs that they have it's so because it's like it's dystopian world but you know his mom has what like purple hair or, or like <laughs> <laughs> and his dad's got like these insane color shirts you know which is a contrast to what he wears with just just white and no color yeah. right and, so- and one thing i skipped over i need to remember because it's important later there's also i think the first bad thing they do is they beat up the drunk beggar mm-hmm. you know, under the under the bridge or whatever it was down there there's a this old drunk guy who's singing and uh he they go up to him and like start applauding for him and he asks for money and they just start assaulting him um so that he comes back later but yeah like i said this first 30 minutes is just hey this is these kids life this is what they do they're terrible they go around doing terrible things and they love doing terrible things um the singing in the rain scene is very important they have um, basically they, they're fairly smart about it. They go knock on the door and it's just Alex. And he's saying, Oh, um, you know, help. There's been a terrible emergency. We need help. And when the woman opens the door, they all rush in and attack her. And I assume if you're watching this, you've probably seen the movie. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, stop listening and go watch it. But, uh, yeah, they attack the old man and then they assault his wife in front of her. And Alex is has his cane and is singing, singing in the rain, and like he's beating them to the the beat of the music, basically. So, and that old man in that scene, he also comes back later. Do either of you recognize him? No. I did not. Mm. That is Patrick McGee. He was also the blind man from our last episode, uh, Tales from the Crypt. Ah, okay. Yeah. He's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, the end of Tales from the Crypt, the the segment where all the blind men are abused. Oh by the yeah. yeah, he's like the leader, right? That yeah. always like, well, you couldn't our food, yeah. Yeah. right? And so, oh, yeah, I his facial expressions are so rich. I like, yeah, I just wish my face was that yeah. expressive. His eyebrows <laughs> do a lot of heavy. Yeah, his eyebrows do do a lot of heavy. He's kind of like which we'll get to that. <laughs> more later but he's kind of like uh he's a great actor but like stanley kubrick did with jack nicholson he like makes him go over the top for some reason in a lot of parts but we'll come back to him later that spirals into surrealism Uh, right because he's an abusive that's a good way to put it um the yeah that's that's definitely true everyone knows that people talk about how horrible the movie is uh, probably the worst thing is how Stanley Kubrick would treat people, but that's another topic for another day. Uh, what did you guys think? Don't about be the- an asshole. Is the take 
Yeah. What did you guys think about the uh, fast forward threesome scene? That was fun, right? Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, that was good. <laughs> yeah. No uh, thoughts. No thoughts. <laughs> um, uh, he has a lot of energy um, as yeah. part of his enjoyment of uh, how he goes about his day. Uh, he just, uh, uh, it was in fast forward, but they went and went and went and went. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, uh, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, I'm not sure how, I, I assume it was, um, you know, not real, but apparently they filmed the whole scene, like just it's one long take. They just let the cameras run and said, go. And then they played the whole thing and fast forward. So this movie, um, I didn't realize how much humor there actually is in it. It had been a long time since I saw it, but this is one of those humorous moments where it's like, what, what the hell is going on? It's just like fast forward threesome. Um, this is one thing they changed from the book, though, because in the book, um, it's much worse because it's not con, um, consensual and it's very, very young ladies. Wow. So it's, it's one thing that was too much for the filmmakers. But um, all right. Yeah. So, so much there. We have to basically rush over, but we have to get to the main story of the film. Um, so next, the group, they kind of confront Alex because he's he's basically their dictator. He's the leader of the group and he's very abusive towards, was it Dim? And um, they say they want a different order of things. So at first, Alex seems to go along with it, but then he, surprisingly, another famous part of the movie, he just assaults all three of them and just beats the hell out of them near the water. Um, It's all in slow motion and it's set to Beethoven's Ninth, which is a very important piece of music. And he cuts Dim's hand. Ugh. Yeah. He knocks him into the water and then he's like, okay, I'll let you back out. And when he grabs his hand, he pulls out a knife and just slits across the top of his hand. Yeah. It's uh, so that's how he reestablishes his dominance, I guess. Um, but only momentarily. Mm-hmm. Also, I want to say this movie got me into, I'm pretty sure this is the film that uh, this is what got me into classical music because I actually do like, I'm not an expert by any means, but I like a lot of classical music, uh, especially Beethoven. I think this is Ludwig von. Yeah. I think this is where, where it started for me. Um, And that's, what do you guys think? Because that's a big part of this movie um, is there's a huge contrast between like the horrible violence you're seeing and like this beautiful high culture music. Uh, I, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on, that what it achieves why it's done that way yeah i mean it sort of highlights uh i I guess it sort of highlights the sort of pure form of things um so you have you know beethoven's uh richness of music and you have alex's richness of his sadism (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it's, uh, you know, they're both kind of, uh, if you will, they're both beautiful versions of the thing that they're, uh, kind of representing. Um, so yeah, that's my take. Yeah. Well, sometimes I don't know what to make of it, but it sure is striking. I mean, part of it is just the. Um, the duality of you're watching something horrible 
contrasted with something beautiful. And part of it is, you know, Beethoven's Ode to Joy is one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever made. And it really, I think it captures his state of mind because in his mind, he's, he's full of joy, right? It's Ode to Joy. But yeah. um, so there's a lot of that going on where it's a big part of the movie. He loves, he loves Beethoven. He loves music, but especially Beethoven. But uh, it's very, very, very striking. Uh, Kubrick had a way with music, but Let's go back, Mia. I want to turn to you because so he has reestablished his dominance over the group, but they don't put up with it for very long. So, would you like to tell us how they deal with Alex? Sure. So, the group, you know, they're all sitting down having drinks, and they he wants to know what the plan is because they had talked about how they had a plan and that they were going to follow. So the plan is there's this health wellness place where they're shutting down for a week. And the lady, the cat lady mm-hmm. is going to be there by herself this whole time. So they're going to go break in and take all her valuables. And, um, and so they go, Alex is the one that breaks in and he's going to let them out, but the, he decides he's going to have some fun with the lady. And, um, Oh, before he breaks in, he does the whole like going onto the front door and saying, Hey, my friend had an accident and I need help in the police. And, and that's um, his mistake, right? Because yeah. he does the same thing he had just done. And the woman had heard about it in the news. So she calls the police to report it. But sorry, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so while she's reporting it, that's when he sneaks into the room and which is, one of the moments where I thought was humorous where it was there back and forth. And then his like continuous, like messing with the giant phallic moving penis that like goes back and forth. I'm sorry to cut you off again, but can we talk about this thing? (laughs) So it's like, I don't know. It's like the size of a dog, a medium sized dog and it's male genitalia, uh, like curved in such a way that it'll rock back and forth. And the, testicles look like a butt basically uh, Jared, I, I just i mean i have to point out uh, i i think i think you just uh mansplained uh <laughs> to mia in real time <laughs> it wanted- was perfect <laughs> i just wanted to talk about that that is great uh, the giant statue penis <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he's like having a, a grand old time with well, it he keeps touching yeah. it because it's a valuable piece of art yeah. and he keeps yeah. pissing he her off and, down and she's like stop it <laughs> well, well he, the great part is that he, well i guess it's not great part because she dies right but he beats her in the face <laughs> with the phallic yeah but credit to her. I mean, she's, uh, you know, talk about female representation. She really, she fights. She puts up a good fight and she isn't afraid of him and doesn't back down. Exactly. And so he but ends she up. she still gets beaten to death by the penis. Yes. Yeah. She, she does <laughs> get, get it to the face, unfortunately. Right to the and, face. Yeah, yeah he does. And it's interesting because the camera pans down so that you're looking up at Alex as he's about to hit you yeah. with a giant penis. And so you know, he then suddenly hears the police sirens and runs towards the door and he tries as they're all trying, they got together and they were going to escape. He gets hit in the face and he is temporarily blinded with, I think it's like some kind of drink or bottle or object. And then he is 
on the floor rolling around and unfortunately for him the police get him yeah it was his friends right that uh, oh yeah the drugs are the ones that hit him yeah yeah because yeah, he was supposed to go in he was going to sneak in the side then let them in the front door because the lady was smart enough not to let them in but when he goes so after he kills her which he doesn't know he's killed her although i mean come on man he smashes her in the face with that thing um when he opens the door to let them in, they pull out one of the milk bottles that's drugged and smash him in the face and the that knocks him down and the milk blinds him temporarily. So they all run away and the police come and arrest him. So, yeah, so unfortunately for him, he did kill the woman and he goes to jail. He is sentenced to jail for 16 years. So... Now, at this point in the movie, we have seen that the world is kind of run down, uh, but now we really start to see the dystopian kind of authoritarian parts of the film. Um, this is just my interpretation. I, I Watching it this time, I kind of saw the film as a place where maybe the, the Soviet Union won the Cold War. That would explain all the um, all the all the Russian that's in their their lingo. Um maybe even why there's no there's no guns anywhere and it's all just street crime and uh so now we're kind of i don't know that's just something i thought of while saying it this time but now we're getting into the real heavy authoritarian stuff and so first off the man who process i guess he's like the warden of the prison the man who processes him into the prison is basically a hitler stand-in uh, am i wrong there <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, he's definitely like this authoritarian kind of like um, uh, like drill sergeant um, yeah. character. Um, he shows a little bit of tenderness later, but he also has like the, doesn't he have the little Hitler stash thing going on? It's a little bit wider than normal Hitler mustache, but it's pretty close. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, he's just very intense and he yells everything and he's very dehumanizing and they even give Alex a number. What is it? They say it so much. Six, double, five, three, two, one. They Six, five, so five, two, three, one. Hello. Yeah. So they're like, you are now a number. Memorize your number. Uh, <laughs> so, but Alex, uh, he's smart. I mean, there's no denying he's smart. So he, he figures out very quickly, like, okay, I'm going to cooperate. There is nothing good will come from me being rebellious here. And two years go by. And he shows good behavior and he even gains some uh, some favor with the prison preacher. Part of what they do is there's a chaplain and they have to go to a church, basically, in the prison. And the preacher actually ends up being one of the most sympathetic characters in the whole film. This is a movie that doesn't have many like good people in it. Um, the preacher comes fairly close of anybody. So but. but but only close. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it does uh, insinuate that he would, uh, um, I mean, at least when he, when Alex has, uh, pulls him aside to ask him a question, the preacher seems like he's going down the old Catholic priest route of uh, liking young boys uh, thing going on. Yeah, so, it does seem to go in that direction. Also, yeah. we completely skipped over um, Alex's parole officer. Who is very funny, but also very creepy. Oh, yeah. Mm. I I kind of oh, got those yeah. same vibes from him. Oh, well, yeah, he, I got that vibe, too. He, he does. He grabs him by the dick. 
He does like when they're in the bed. They're and he like lays in the bed with him. It was yeah, it was really weird. Yeah, he's a weird character. But uh, so, anyways, that's two people who possibly would have uh, had sex with that. He doesn't, and he ends up kind of yeah, sort of advocating for him. I mean, he guess he does advocate him for him later on, but uh, it discourages him from the treatment and stuff too. Yeah. So basically what happens here is Alex has earned, he's had good behavior and he's earned the favor of the priest because he's become very interested in the Bible. And part of that is faked. You know, he's, he's a clever kid. He knows how to make himself look good. But the truth, the thing he doesn't say is he only really likes the Bible for all this super violent and sinful stuff. And he fantasizes that he's in the role. Um, yeah. He fantasizes giving the lashings. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> he literally fantasizes that he's abusing jesus so yeah good thing the preacher doesn't know what he's thinking um so he uses this kind of good favor he's earned <laughs> he did last jesus <laughs> oh man that's brutal sorry Joe, yeah. <laughs> no that's okay it's uh yeah but um the Basically, the uh, the scene sets up that there's this new technique that the prisoners have heard about where supposedly you go through this program and you're a free man back on the streets very soon, like within a, a few days, basically, or a fortnight, however long that is. I forget. Uh, anyone know how long a fortnight is? Mm, 14 days, 14 days, oh, 14 okay. days. Good, good. So 14 days, that's how long it takes, basically. But the warden says, look, I've heard about this, but I don't think... Um, it's really a good thing because we can't, you can't force somebody to be a good person. If you do something like this program, all you're doing is taking away their free will. So we're starting to see some of the different philosophies here, right? Where the state has this new idea of how can we force, forcefully rehabilitate people. And then there's the idea of, can you actually force people to be good or are you just taking away their free will? So, um, but so the preacher doesn't actually do it for him, but then there's a scene where uh, a high-ranking government official comes to inspect the prison, and there's a lot that is said here, some of it that I didn't catch the last or didn't remember from watching it before. Basically, there's a new government that's taking over, and uh, one thing this government wants to do is they have this rehabilitation program, and he mentions, did you guys catch that they want to clear out the prison of regular criminals so they have room for political dissidents <laughs> dissenters oh, yeah oh man yeah yeah he mentions it very quickly um so i see kind of a a, a contrast here between two different forms of authoritarianism one is uh i see more as like a right wing you know which is represented by the prison warden who is sort of hit literally Hitler, almost not literally, but basically Hitler. Um, it's very control and punishment. And then you have this new government coming in who presents things in a nicer way, even if they're still very controlling. They're like, oh, we want to make people better. We want to, um, you know, rehabilitate people. But really, they're still just as controlling and authoritarian as the other way of thinking. So some contrast there but basically he gets the attention for this program by speaking out of turn which is something he he knows not to do there the minister the the politician person is talking about you know oh these how terrible they all are and they need to be made better and alex goes you're absolutely right sir (laughs) (laughs) 
And then a great line from the Hitler guy. He says, uh, shut your filthy hole, you scum. <laughs> um, <laughs> I could quote that guy all day. But anyway, so that that impresses the politician and Alex is selected for the program. I also like the scene when, to go back a little bit, they're processing Alex. He's asking him all these questions like, do you have any mental illnesses? No, sir. Do you have any venereal diseases? No, sir. Are you now or have you ever been a homosexual? (laughs) Just stuff like that is hilarious to me. But um, the rehabilitation. Okay, so Alex is accepted into this experimental new program that the government has designed to cure criminals. And Justin, do you want to tell us about what this program is like? (sighs) Yeah, I can talk about (laughs) this. Um... So it turns out that uh, that Pavlov learned that if you keep uh, dogs in a state of fear and anxiety and reprogram them in that state, you can change their behavior. So this caught on as a idea of maybe this is what we could do to criminals. Um, and, uh, so basically he's strapped up where he can't move any part of his body. His head is face forward and he's in a, in a theater and his eyes are clamped open and he's constantly given kind of drugs to his eyes and that make him, that make him sick um, and nauseous and, there are two things going on. They are playing Ludwig Vaughn in the background and they're making him watch the kind of ultimate culmination of the absurdity of violence by, uh, by watching uh, concentration camps and uh, uh, rape scenes and horrible things that are then um tied to tied to music as well uh for him anyways and the idea is to make uh violence but also sex um because yeah fuck that sex stuff i guess too while we're at it um uh that he would be would be nauseous anytime he thought of violence or of sex um and so that's what they do. And they do it to him over several days and uh, kind of, you can watch him, you know, the first day is not so bad. And then they break him down until he pleads with them. Basically. Uh, I mean, I know there's um, cool parts of what we want to maybe talk about, but you know, they, they break him down through uh, forcing him to watch that and giving him medicine that makes him sick. Yeah, so he he handles it at first pretty well, um, except for this drug, it's only briefly, I mean, obviously it makes him physically sick, but he briefly mentions that it has a lot of other things. Like, I think it paralyzes him to to a certain degree, and it's just complete terror. Like, he says he feels like he's drowning and all kinds of things. So, yeah, they're basically, um, you know, punishment, basically, is what it is. Like, you... You see these things we don't want you to like, and you feel terrible And until this association is built in your brain. And then that goes on until eventually one of the films just happens to have his favorite piece of music, Beethoven's Ninth, Ode to 
joy. And that's what finally breaks out. <laughs> he starts screaming, it's a sin. It's a sin. <laughs> um, you know, cause he can't stand the fact that this beautiful thing is being used in this way and that it's being taken from him, you know? So that, that finally breaks out. And yeah, I, I think to me, this isn't really, I mean, we didn't mention this at first. This isn't really a horror movie. It's more, uh, it just has horrific elements to it, but this is the closest thing to a horror scene. I mean, his eyes are held open. His eyelids are held open by clamps. And again, uh, like a lot of the movies we watch, this is well before CGI. They're really holding his eyelids open. Um, and they're really dropping um, eye drops into his eyes to keep them from drying out. Apparently, and, it like really fucked with his eyes, too. We were reading today um, McDermott. What's, his, what's the actor? Malcolm name? McDowell. Yeah, McDowell. He, he, uh, we were reading an interview he gave where uh, apparently the clamps kept slipping and like part of what they're putting what we're putting in his eyes were kind of like anesthetic so that his eyes wouldn't hurt but then once anesthetic wore off he was like in legit pain because it had been scratching at his uh, eyeballs as cornea yeah it scratches his eyes and apparently he's had like a life uh i haven't been able to verify this but uh apparently he has a lifelong fear of eye drops now which makes complete Mm. sense um <laughs> yeah no. yeah so props to him for putting up with that props to anybody who deals with stanley kubrick um i couldn't everybody's everybody just, doing nobody's dealing with stanley kubrick anymore right or anyone who has dealt with stanley kubrick <laughs> um but uh just try everybody just take a minute as you're listening to this try and hold your eyes open and don't blink for as long as you can okay after a few seconds, you're going to give up because it starts to be really freaky uncomfortable. So I couldn't imagine going through this scene. And of course, remember, Kubrick wants you to shoot everything 70 takes. So who knows how long he really dealt with this. But anyways, um, depending on your definition of success, the program is a success. And they trot him out on kind of like a demonstration. They have some uh, important people come and watch him to show that he has been, quote unquote, cured. Uh, Mia, do you want to take over from here? Tell us about this demonstration scene where they show that he is secured. Sure. So he first is brought out and um, he is abused both verbally and then assaulted by, um, I don't know who the guy is, but this I guess a random guy. Some, guy, I think. Yeah, some guy they got. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then he becomes horribly sick at the exposure to violence and Alex, you know, he, he can't respond because he starts getting sick and starts gagging and just can't, he just feels bad when he wants to commit violence and he does whatever is necessary to make it stop. And then another test after he's been beaten and abused is they bring out this lady, this well, com- almost completely naked yeah, almost completely woman naked. She's and she comes out and she just walks like really slowly towards Alex and he's just like gazing at her. And then as she gets closer, he goes and like reaches towards her and tries to grab her boobs. But oh, no, he feels sick and he can't do it. <laughs> he starts gagging. <laughs> Probably the saddest part of the whole movie. <laughs> he's like, oh, no. No. Yeah, he's just been forced. Yeah, he's sick. And so Oh, that's yeah, that's the biggest crime against him. Okay. And then uh, (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Anyways. Uh, (laughs) 
this is why we have a a lady on the podcast to keep (laughs) us in check (laughs) (laughs) and so moving on (laughs) and so the preacher gets up and he objects that alex has now lost his free will and you know this is completely wrong and everyone else is just really impressed by the demonstration and they feel like Alex is cured and he's freed and he can go home and that the experiment was a success. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he gets beaten up and he can't even defend himself because like, even as someone's beating him because he's being exposed to violence, all he can do is just whatever I can do to make it stop. He even has to lick the guy's shoe. Um, And we get a close up of that, his tongue licking the guy's shoe um yeah then they bring out the beautiful naked lady and he he's like oh okay well um uh, finally something good after i just got beat up and had to lick someone's shoe but yeah he can't even touch her so yeah like i said we're the 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 preacher becomes one of the more sympathetic uh sympathetic characters here at least one of the more reasonable because everybody is so impressed like you said uh and the preacher runs out and says like guys you haven't cured anybody of anything. You've just like uh, taken away his free will. He's not a good person now because of this. This is disgusting what we're doing. But um, everyone else is impressed. So, well, I mean, I think this too. You mentioned that the preacher is maybe the one close thing to a good character, and uh, it's kind of interesting to think that in this kind of dystopian world that the creepy young boy loving preacher is the one that is the only one that has any sense to say like no like maybe we shouldn't treat other people this way <laughs> and maybe right. weird i mean he like in the scene he clearly like wants he still desires women it's just once the desire reaches a certain point it makes him sick he still wants to he's pretty you know he still wants to defend himself in a violent way but he, his physical reaction won't, won't let him. So he's not changed his nature in any meaningful way. It's just make him sick uh, when he reaches a certain level of desire or threshold. Um, yeah. But like the, uh, you know, the government official says, the point is it works. They don't care. Yeah. Like they flat out say, we don't care about the ethics. We have stopped someone from committing crime. So fascism is bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. All right, so now he, but everyone says it works, so they just let him go. They're like, okay, you're cured. This works. Hooray. Um, <laughs> there you go. And he goes back home. And again, another great scene, but in the interest of time, we've got to kind of skip over it. But basically, he goes home to his parents, only to find that they've had a, a he's been replaced basically by a young man who's renting his room. And it's they so are not. Weird. Oh my yeah. gosh, it's such a weird scene. Ugh. Like, uh, it's the closest thing to like some of David Lynch's dystopian stuff in Eraser, like I mentioned earlier, where they're like families having these weirdest, weird, weird dynamics. I'm like, it's, yeah, it's like they just replaced it with some other young man who's <laughs> yeah. like really close to his mom and really touchy with her and things weird. And they let a snake die. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We completely missed over that, skipped over that, that Alex has a snake that he keeps in a drawer, which everybody, <laughs> if you have a pet snake, please, please do some research on how to take care of it. Don't, don't keep it in a drawer. drawer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that, that 
that's kind of the break point for him because uh, he loved his snake. You know, Alex, I mean, he's a true sadist. He likes to cause pain, but he doesn't legitimately love some things like music and his snake. And they let his snake die or maybe killed it. Who knows? So he's basically, he says, okay, well, I'm not welcome here. So bye. Uh, <laughs> and he, as he's walking around, because now, uh, I mean, where's he going to go now? They just let him out of prison, but they don't really give him a place to go. Uh, he is approached by a beggar who asks him for money. And we've got a couple of plot twists here. Well, or things that come back. Justin, who's the beggar? It's the beggar from earlier in the film. Yeah he's yeah. back and he wants revenge it doesn't yeah. matter that he gave him well not that it offsets any of it but he like all the other people that we are going to encounter choose the the violent. choose the the violent vengeful act despite him already serving his time despite him already being punished so much and he has no way now to defend himself um yeah, so there is the question of when is punishment enough? That's an issue. But isn't it funny that after everything he's done at this point in the movie, you're actually sympathetic towards Alex, even though he's done. a yeah, it's he's a terrible done. person. <laughs> I mean, and 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 we're getting to some of. I mean, some of it doesn't become full circle to the end, but you know, I mean, any he's a pawn. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a pawn being tossed around, and you're starting to see that now. At you know that. He's being messed with. He did some violent things for sure, but the way in which society is responding to that is amplifying it and making it worse. And then, yeah, it's not pretty. He, but anyways, go ahead. I was think he, he raped, killed, and the lady that he raped ended up committing suicide, right? Well, not suicide, I'm sorry. She died from, I guess, um just it the trauma maybe yeah the trauma i think that's what it was and then i mean he did horrible horrible things yeah he went to jail for two years and then had his treatment and stuff like that but like he would have continued to been him's normal self if he hadn't been caught yeah, but right, being yeah. in prison i mean i think like having him in prison is probably the right call. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, so releasing him into the wild was a bad call. Uh, however, how everyone he encounters treats him is a com- is its own commentary on society. Like the, the whole system says you've served your time, you're changed, go out into public and his parents won't have him, which is heartbreaking. Um, he tries to uh, give, does give some money to this random beggar who turns out to be someone he's harmed in the past. And, and it's just, I mean, we're, you know, it's just more and more and more. And it's just sort of like, I don't know, like uh, highlights to me that when you take someone's capability away of being violent, the, they lose their basic ways to defend themselves, at least in this dystopian uh, society. But then, like, of course, this is how it happens here. <laughs> you know, we just release prisoners out into the wild, no matter what they've done after they serve their time. They're like, good luck. Good luck uh, out there in the wild. And it's an absurd process. It may, but, it reminds me of a, did you guys ever see Sling, Sling Blade? No. Mm, I have not seen Sling Blade. Oh, uh, uh, they do the same thing with the main character in there. He's uh, mental, has some mental issues. He kills someone. Then years later, they're like, all right, you're free. And they open the door and he just walks out. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, back, 
It's brilliant. Yeah. It's a brilliant approach. Mm -hmm. So anyways, this beggar who we recognize right away um, takes a minute to recognize Alex. And when he finally does, he's like, okay, vengeance time. And he like drags him under a bridge where there's basically a community of other beggars. And they all just start assaulting him before the police fairly quickly come and break it up. But Mia, now it's your turn. Our second twist, the police are people we know from before. Yes. So the police turn out to be his old friends and who let him who left him to be arrested. What are they? The Druids? The Druids. The Druids. Old Druids. Georgie. Dim and Georgie. Dim and Georgie. And they take him out into the woods and beat him while holding him his head underwater, um, nearly drowning him before leaving him in the woods in the cold by himself. And not to get into <laughs> often another dangerous territory here, but the fact that those guys were able to become police officers. Yeah. It's mm. all commentary in this dystopia. Yeah. We'll just let that thought dangle for a minute and keep going. Uh, but yeah, like Mia said, they take him out into the woods and they hold his head underwater and beat him. Um, and this, this is all like done in one. I think there is actually two takes. Apparently there's a little cut. That's very hard to see, but basically his head is really underwater for a really long time. <laughs> so again, uh, thank you, Malcolm McDowell, for putting up with that. Mm -hmm. And uh, you think they're going to kill him or drown him, but uh, instead they they leave him there and basically say, hey, we'll come mess with you again some other time. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically at this point in the movie, everybody he has a problem with in the past is coming back to him uh, very quickly. And another one happens. So he's half dead, stumbling through a rainstorm at this point late at night. Uh, he goes to a house to ask for help. And he doesn't realize until he is inside the house that this is the same house from the singing in the rain scene at the beginning of the movie. The old man he beats and the, whose wife he rates. And we find out that she died possibly from the, you know, what he did to her. So at first the old man recognizes him but he doesn't recognize him as the guy who attacked my family instead he recognizes him from the papers like oh you're that guy who was supposedly cured and again we're, we're back to uh, patrick mcgee here who is oddly excited uh to see that this guy has come to his house yeah. uh, and justin as you said earlier we're back to everybody wanting to use him in some way so we find out that this man is basically a political opponent of the new government and he wants to use Alex against them, you know, as a propaganda piece. So, but Alex stupidly, because Alex remembers the guy, uh, <laughs> seeing singing in the rain in the bathtub, at which point the old man remembers him. Now I mentioned this earlier, but this is like some really great acting here because you see everything that goes through his mind. Like he recognizes the song, he remembers it. Then he starts to remember who Alex is and he gets angry, but he knows he can't really do anything to him because he wants to use him. Yep. So uh, at least it's really good until that weird moment where it looks like he's having a seizure. Uh, in the rain. Yeah. So, oh, there's one other little bit of little tidbit here. The big bodybuilder guy that is hanging out with the old Julian. man. Is it Julian? What was it? No. What was his name? Yeah. I can't remember his name, but did you guys look up? I'm sure you can probably see it in my notes here, but did you catch who that was? Mm -mm. Hmm. 
That is David Prowse, um, who played Darth Vader. Not the voice of Darth Vader, but the man in the suit. Really? Mm-hmm. That's him. This was well before he was Darth Vader, of course. But yeah, David Prowse, the guy who was in the Darth Vader suit. The guy in the uh, tiny shorts was Darth Vader. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I thought uh, he had kind of a Christopher Reeve look going on. I yeah. Like Superman. Mm. For sure. But anyways, so as I've hinted at, they've got a plan for Alex. Um, now, the old man knows at this point who Alex is, but he still wants to use Alex. So, Justin, do you want to tell us about their plan and kind of how this goes down? Maybe talk about the dinner scene. <laughs> yeah, the dinner scene. The dinner scene's a little weird. Um, I mean, seems pretty clear that uh, the old man's trying to drug Alex um, with the wine. And then Alex kind of doesn't have much of a choice there. Uh, then a couple comes over and and they're kind of acting like they're going to interview him they want to tell his story um and they start asking him some questions and he tells them that you know that it's ludwig von uh, and it's the ninth that he can't listen to anymore to make him sick and then he uh, passes out and it turns out that they want to use him to make a political point that if they can show that the treatment wasn't effective or that he was mistreated that they can use him use that as as political against the new government and i mean i guess it's their plan is for him to try to kill himself because uh, that's certainly what they try to drive him to do um he when he comes to they're playing uh, beethoven's ninth from the floor bef- below, the old man is really getting off to it, as we say. Uh, and he tries to, uh, Alex tries to kill himself because he can't uh, handle the music. And uh, he jumps out the window. And so they now have made their scene. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit more about the dinner scene just to point out it's one of the funnier moments and funnier scenes in the film because he he knows and we know that there's something in that wine and he keeps trying to come up with excuses to drink it (laughs) and the old man is like weirdly aggressive to him like do you like the soup or what (laughs) the food is it good (laughs) yes it's very good um And he also has that point where, oh, he's like basically instructing them what to write down in their notes. Like, I felt very traumatized. Very traumatized. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then he says, I just feel like something bad's going to happen at any moment. And then he passes out and spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so kind of a funny scene. But uh, the whole time, the old man is just staring at him like he's about to kill him. <laughs> Which they try to do, like you say, they lock him in his room and they play the music really loud. And the only thing he can do to make the pain go away is try to kill himself. So he jumps out the window. And but, also, like, go in ahead, some go ways, ahead. it's they are making a point <laughs> in kind of a sick, perverted way, but they're making the point that, like, it's not a good treatment because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> all it takes is someone playing music loudly to call someone to want to kill themselves. I mean, that's sort of, they're making the point kind of beautifully politically too, as horrible as it is also. 
Um, but anyways. Um, and also the music thing was unintended. Justin, would we call that an externality? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Strong <laughs> negative one. Um, but uh, yeah, and uh, unintended consequence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, basically, hey, this great plan we had. There's some side effects that we didn't. Uh, didn't account for when we were coming up with our great plan but uh, so anyways he doesn't actually die Um, he ends up in a coma for a while and when he comes to he's in a hospital bed and he's it's kind of cartoonish actually something out of looney tunes with how much of his body is in a cast Um, (laughs) and when he awakes he learns that his attempted suicide it basically worked you know it made it into the the news the newspapers and it's turning the opinions against the government. Everyone had said, oh, look at this great thing they did. Oh, no, it actually doesn't work. It's very cruel. And this guy tried to kill himself. So he's visited by a psychiatrist in the hospital. And one thing I, I didn't remember or never noticed the first time is he basically says that while he was unconscious, people were messing with his brain. Did you guys catch that? Mm, yeah, I did see that. Yeah. Um, it goes by pretty quickly. But he says, oh, I had dreams when I was asleep that people were messing around in my head. So apparently while he's been out, the government came and tried to undo some of what they did to him or something. Uh, but the nurse dismisses it and then, <laughs> more humor. She shows him some pictures. It's like little cartoons with one speech bubble is there and then you have to fill in the rest. Mm. And he fills in all the blanks by saying just like nasty stuff <laughs> um, and then laughs hysterically, you know, so which makes the nurse happy. The first time I saw that, I didn't understand. Now I realize, oh, she's there to test that we managed to undo what we did to him. So, and then he's visited by the minister of the government, um, who, uh, again, more humor stuff. The guy is literally hand feeding Alex. (laughs) And Alex knows the situation he's in. So he's just like holding his mouth open and smiling, waiting for the next bite of food uh another great scene but basically what they do is say hey uh we kind of got in trouble over what we did to you so we need you to cooperate with us um and tell everybody you're okay and that you're fine and be friendly with us and if you do that we're going to make your life really comfortable and alex being the cunning person we've seen throughout the movie he goes along with it (laughs) then they usher in like a whole crowd of journalists and take pictures of him smiling with the minister while they're playing Beethoven's Ninth, the show that it no longer bothers him. And then the movie ends with the line, oh, I was cured, all right. (laughs) Uh, Anything to say about that last little scene there? Well, did we mention that he was the narrator? I don't know that we mentioned that Alex was the narrator. And um, so he plays off some funny moments throughout too. to say like of course i lived um uh, that's why i'm getting to be the narrator now and so it is really nice it's really appropriate that it ends with him kind of going back to his snarky self um it's great so, yeah so i have a quick question at the very end does he have like an orgasm and then like has a sudden like vision of him in heaven with the naked lady I'm not sure what that was what about. Is that? Uh, <laughs> well, Rumford cuts. Of... It looks like he might have a, like an orgasm face yeah. thing going on because his eyes do something really funny at the end, and then it cuts to that 
sex scene. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what's going on there. There's a lot of stuff like that in this movie. We didn't really have too much time to get into where it's sort of like surreal vision scenes. You know, there was the scenes where he's pretending to be the bad guy in all the Bible scenes. There's the part earlier in the movie where he's fantasizing about all the violence. I don't know what happens here. I, I just kind of interpreted that as his state of mind. Like after all he's been through, everything works out for him and he gets to be himself again, except now he's protected from the law. So he's just in a state of mental bliss. I don't know if that's right or not, but yeah, there's this weird moment where it just sort of cuts to this scene with him, like playing in was it sand or something with this naked woman. Wow. And there's all these people like well-dressed people standing yeah, around nodding it. appreciatively. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how to interpret that other than I've just seen his his state of mind. Like he's back to just being a joyful, sadistic little monster. Um, so what do you guys think about the ending? Okay, so this is where some people, um, there's really not a pro-social message here at the end. Normally you would think, okay, he because he's a bad person, he gets punished or he learns a lesson. But not really. I mean, after everything he's done, everything he's been through, he's just back to him, his old self and the government is still in power and the corruption doesn't go away. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I mean, his, his set out intention was when he was in jail was to do the therapy so that he can get out faster. And he got out faster. And even though he did get his comeuppance sort of towards at the end, it turns around and he ends up in a better situation than he was before. <laughs> yeah, that's just the, uh, and there's no, like I said, there's no positive pro-social commentary there. It's just everyone's terrible and the terrible people win yeah. and they're happy. Um, so I should mention, this is weird. So the author um, didn't like this movie apparently. And in part, because I, I might get the details wrong here. Sorry if I do, but uh, the book originally had a, an extra chapter at the end, but it wasn't, it was cut out in some places because they didn't like it. And then it was put back in later. So when Stanley Kubrick was making the movie, he had already started making the movie. He didn't know about this chapter uh, when he had started making the movie. But there's a lot, have either, I don't suppose either of you have read the book? Mm -mm. No. Okay. Well, it stays pretty close to the um, book for the most part. And I do recommend it. Um, but in the book, there was that last chapter that was taken in and out where uh, at the very end, Alex basically decides to be a good person. And obviously that's not in the movie. And I never liked, uh, when I read the book, I didn't like that chapter because I feel like it comes out of nowhere. If you want to have a redemption arc, there has to be something building up to that. Mm -hmm. And the book is basically like the movie, except there's an extra part at the end where he says, well, I grew out of being a bad person and decided to be a good person. And that's how the end book, the book ends from what I remember. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do, do you think, um, should there have been something like that at the end of this, this uh, movie where the, is, should there have been some sort of redemption or some sort of punishment or lesson learned? Or is the movie just kind of a dark look at society and should be taken as what it is? What I like about how I think it comes across in the end to me in the movie version is how just kind of inconsequential he is. Um, even in his horribleness and shittiness, like 
he's being, like I said earlier, I mean, he's being used, you know, he comes up in the society and he's shitty and the shitty elements of the society reinforces shittiness and he does horrible things and horrible more things happen to him as a consequence of the way in which society is structured. I mean, he's tortured, uh, is is what's happened and then he gets out and he's tortured by people out in society and then like one political party wants to use them for their ends so they try and another political party is wanting to use them for their ends and uh just kind of you know it kind of makes the point that if you give in to authoritarianism um then you have no real choices and at it's hard it's kind of a political movie um in that way and it's uh while being dark and shitty it's a reminder that if you if you give over to those forces there is no there are no heroes i mean like we said earlier there's no heroes in these kind of societies because the whole thing has gone off the wheels and it's all fucked i like it the movie highlights that that's one of the reasons why i really like it And it could be interpreted, you know, as a warning in that sense, because if the movie ends and everything's okay, then nothing really matters, I guess, because everything's okay in the end. But you can see the movie is kind of a warning, like, hey, everybody, maybe things aren't always just going to be okay. Maybe you should think about how things are going and how you want to react to them if you want things to be different. And uh, the movie doesn't really have, uh, from my interpretation, a political stance in the sense of right wing versus left wing it sort of presents the extremism of all both sides and says that well extremism is bad at least that's how i interpret it maybe someone else will see it differently authoritarianism, but, uh, i think i mean i think the the like uh, right wing or left wing authoritarianism if it's anything it's anti-authoritarianism yeah exactly that's exactly clear, at least from my vantage point um it's not left wing or right wing it is it's just a scathing critique <laughs> of authoritarianism, which I am in favor of a scathing <laughs> critique of authoritarianism. So I don't know. Um, Mia, any last thoughts about a clockwork orange, your first time time viewing it? It was a very interesting movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's I while we were talking about it, I think that it's funny that Stanley Kubrick's made two movies where both um creators of the novels did not like (laughs) (laughs) the movies he created yeah i was actually talking to my friend about that last night um as much as i love books um don't don't trust an author on an an adaptation of their book okay what when they create something they they put a lot of time and their heart into it and to see it change must be very difficult um, yeah, Stephen King didn't like the the um, the Shining. This author didn't like this book, but those are both very good movies, in my opinion. So, yeah. Uh, well, I guess yeah, we we did that in a decent amount of time. Okay. Yeah, uh, I, have final, <laughs> I have final commentary. Sure. The real final commentary is fuck authoritarianism. Thank you, <laughs> yeah. Stan Kubrick, for that. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's I. Uh, it's really good. People should watch it. Although it is not like a lot of our other movies. Not for the faint of heart. <laughs> yeah, this movie came out in 1971. How crazy is that? Um, yeah, it was very, very controversial. Uh, I mean, I, I 
I think I, w- I read that like Stanley Kubrick and his family were getting death threats and stuff like that. Um, but uh, just just remember, it's all well. Most of it's not real. I mean, I guess the stuff where he's having to hold his breath underwater and his eyelids are being held open—that's real. But uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of graphic, uncomfortable stuff in here. You know, there's a lot of nudity. Uh, I noticed watching this, even if you when you watch this movie, you look in the background. There's like even entertaining graffiti in the back there's all kinds of set pieces uh regardless of content i consider it a filmmaking masterpiece the cinematography the use of music uh, it's just beautiful but it's beautiful with horrific elements right you know <laughs> yep. so but uh all right that was a clockwork orange Woo-hoo! okay good movie i consider it one of the best movies ever made i'm happy we got to watch it again So now what's coming up next? Okay, it's almost the Halloween season, everybody. So here's our plan. Um, There are five weekends in October. Once again, yeah. So like we did last year, we're going to try and put out one podcast every weekend the whole month of October. Um, We got this. Yeah. And then we're going to take a little break afterwards because that's pretty exhausting. Um, But the first one coming up, is Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses. Um, We're going to be doing kind of random Halloween-themed movies like we did last year. So just anything that has to do with Halloween. And the first one is House of a Thousand Corpses. I know it's a movie that's kind of divisive. Rob Zombie's kind of divisive in the horror community. Uh, But I do want to talk about this movie because it was important to me. But uh, all right, everybody. Thanks for listening. That's A Clockwork Orange. Justin and Mia, anything else? Or are you ready to say goodbye and go get some sleep? Ready to say goodbye. Hey, this was a lot of fun. And uh, I like that our next movie is also divisive. Can we be as controversial as possible these days? Uh, I mean, we're getting there. I think at yes. this point, we, we've given people warnings, you know, and we haven't gotten into the real extreme stuff. We haven't gotten into like Cannibal Holocaust or Salo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gross. 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 Cannibal Holocaust. Shit's gross. All right, man. It's good to see you. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Leave us a comment on that. Let us know what you think. Yeah. Give us some suggestions. So we've been getting some suggestions. So send us more. Yep. All right. Goodbye, everybody.